I remember doing uh, a couple offertories, but back in the day when I took piano, and it's always a bit nerve-wracking, but Camden, thank you for blessing us with that. That was great. All right, as we begin our journey in Romans 12.1 and begin to think uh, what it is to be the gospel community, I need to begin by asking us a question. And that question is, are we using our bodies in such a way that Christ is clearly revealed to be our treasure? Are we using our bodies in such a way that Christ is clearly revealed to be our treasure? So, to say it another way, can people tell that we treasure Christ above everything else by the way we're using our bodies? Or when they look at us, could they think perhaps that food is our treasure? Depends on how long they look at me, I guess. Not very long. When they look at us, would it appear that our jobs are our treasure more than Christ? Because we give our body more to our job than to Christ? When they look at us, could it be that it looks like we treasure our family more than Christ? Because we will do this or we won't do this because our family says. You know, as I've tried to remind you before, it is better to sit in obedience in a hut in Africa than in disobedience eating biscuits at Mama's. We don't want to be those that uh, even hold our families more than we do Christ. Jesus said, for those who leave children or brothers or sisters or moms and dads, we would receive a hundred times in this life and the next. When they look at us, would it look like we treasure comfort and ease and safety more than Christ? Would it look like we treasure sex more than Christ by what we think and by what we do with our mind and our bodies? When they look at us, would it seem as if we treasure the things of the world more than Christ? Because this is what we're always looking at, or this is what we're always listening to. Would it appear that we treasure gossip and slander more than Christ? The end result of all of it is, when the world looks at us, can they see that we treasure Christ more than anything else? Or when they look at us, does it really look like the thing we treasure most is ourselves? We treasure ourselves. This is what people do who are not in Christ. This is true of the world, but not true of the gospel community. The fundamental question, I guess, that you need to come to an answer to this morning is, is Christ what I treasure most? Is Christ who I treasure most? Because if Christ is not, then all the other things I've listed and a million more, they probably are what you treasure most. But if you treasure those things most, you just need to be reminded all of those other things are passing away. Christ is all that lasts. And Christ is our only hope for reconciliation. Does Christ mean more to us than anything else? We've been on a quest. We've been talking about the gospel word. That's what we studied in Galatians. And we saw the incredible picture of the gospel. Now we're trying to discern what is the gospel community. How does the Bible define church? What does the Bible say we should look like? And the first component is, by God's mercies, we use our bodies to show that Christ is our treasure. That's where we start with the gospel community. It's where it starts in Romans 12. Now, you and I may wrestle with this for the next 40 minutes, or who am I kidding? It's me, right? 60. But uh, I've wrestled with this all week. Everywhere I've gone, present your body to God. You're standing in line, and the honey buns are right there, right? Present your body to God. No, I want a honey bun, you know? No, I want Taco Bell. No, I want more Cane's sauce. More Cane's sauce, right? 
I've wrestled with this uh, in my own journey all week long and wrestled with it not just in the area of food, but in all areas of my body, with my mind, my hands, my mouth, my ears, that above all with these weapons, with these instruments, that we would show that Christ is our treasure. So what I'm praying is that what we'll walk away from the sermon after we encounter Romans 12 is that we will be those who, by God's mercy, present our bodies to God as an act of worship over and over and over so that the reality of the gospel is evident in us and evident in our lives. So that what Paul says in Philippians 1.20, that we would be those who are eager to honor Christ in our bodies with life or death that we are eager to honor Christ, that that would be true of us, the gospel community, that we would be those, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, that understand we were bought at a price, and we understand what price was paid. And so because of that, we glorify God with the body. And the more we meditate on that price, the more we will meditate meditate, uh, on what he's done, that we will glorify him. How many of you tend to take extra care of stuff that you've borrowed from other people than you might with your own stuff? Does anyone do that? No, not everyone does that, and uh, that's why some of them are called renters. But others, uh, you know, when, when people give us stuff or someone loans me stuff, I find that I am extra cautious, that I want to take care of it. I want to return it in better condition if I can. Friend, I hope you'll hear what I just said, right? You were bought at a price. Someone else actually owns your body. Someone else owns your body. You and I are just stewards of it. It's not ours. It's his. And so we want to use it in such a way that it shows Christ owns my body. Christ owns me. And this is a part of the gospel community. We understand that our bodies belong to Christ. When the gospel community lives as if they own their own bodies... We lie to the world about the gospel because what we show them is we are king, not him. So when we live as if we own our own bodies, we lie to the world about the gospel. We show them who's king, and it's us. But that's not the picture in the gospel community. It's Christ who's king. Perhaps some of us act as if we own our own bodies because we really do. You've never given your body to Christ. You've never yielded your life to Christ. It could be you're acting just the reality in your own spiritual journey, friend. But for those of us who've yielded our life to Christ, may it be evident. Let's stand. We're going to read one verse, Romans 12, 1. And ask the Lord to teach us and feed us and change us and to help us live this text. Paul writes under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and here's what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Father, thank you as always that you have preserved this text, that we may have it. Thank you as always that we have scripture in our language. Father, forgive us when we do not do our best to present ourselves to you as workmen who need not be ashamed, but who rightly divide your word. Forget it. Forgive us when we Don't study your word diligently. Forgive us when we don't live Psalm 119 and we're those that are eager to know your decrees and commands. Father, would you help us to become those people? Would you help us to treasure your word and be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us? We know what you want. We have it in your word. So help us to be those who diligently seek in your word. And then when we seek in your word, then, Father, would you empower us by your mercies, as it says in this text, to do it. 
Without your mercies, we could never do it. We can't present our bodies to you on our own. There's no way. We need your strength. We need Christ's victory at the cross in which the flesh, the world, and the devil are dead to us. Their power has been conquered and Christ reigns. So in his power and in your mercies then that are extended to us through the cross, Father, help us to be those who present our bodies to you. And in so doing, we show that we love Jesus more than anything else. Father, would you help us to understand this is worship. It's not just when we gather here on Sundays, but we worship and what we do at school and what we do at home and what we do at work. These things are worship too. Our worship is in every time and every place. Father, I pray that you would use your word to feed us and you would help us to be the gospel community. I pray you would use these expositions in Romans 12 to feed and shape your people. The gospel word creates, nourishes, and shapes the gospel community. So, Father, nourish us and shape us and help us to live that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As you see on your outline there, four broad points. The gospel community has received and is receiving God's mercies and are never the same again. The gospel community recognizes responsibilities come with receipt of mercy. The gospel community uh, shows that Christ is our treasure by the way we use our bodies and minds. And the gospel community is a worshiping community. We're going to get to these in, in a moment. Let's begin with the gospel community has received and is receiving God's mercies and are never the same because that's where Paul begins. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. If, something does some, if someone does something for you, uh, how do you feel toward them? And I think it depends on what they do for you. If they point out that you have a stain on your shirt, well, you're grateful in some ways. If they point it out like later, laughing behind your back, well, you may not be as grateful. But what they do for you and what people do for you, the greater the sacrifice, the greater we're impacted and the greater our gratitude. So the greater the sacrifice, the greater we're impacted, the greater gratitude. I'll never forget the night that my apartment burned. I was a senior at LSU living on Fairway View off College Drive. And the, and the apartment burned. I'll never forget Brian Wax, because Brian Wax came in the middle of that fire, and uh, after we kind of got stuff out, Brian said, uh, dude, I want you to sleep in my bed tonight. Not with him, which was good, but he gave me his bed and exchanged it. Brian slept on the couch. He said, dude, you, you take my bed tonight. I've never forgotten that. It was a sacrifice for him. I'll never forget the day my father died, and I'll never forget Chad Stevens. Chad Stevens showed up at my apartment, and he had a bag packed, and he said, I'm going with you. That's what he said when he walked in the door. And I've never forgotten those words, and I've never forgotten it. He drove through the night with me late that night, and when I wept, he wept, and when I laughed, he laughed. Never forget that sacrifice that he did for me. My friends, Tony and Kim, just adopted a little boy from Ethiopia, and I got to meet him last week. His name is Joshua Livingston. Do you think Joshua Livingston will ever forget the day Tony and Kim came to get him from an orphanage in Ethiopia? Do you think he'll ever get over the fact that some people came and said, we want you, and brought him into their home and have changed him? His parents, both are dead, hasn't really known them, has known an uncle. It's made a difference, and it will make a difference in Joshua's life. But it's not the greatest gift we've ever received mercy from God instead of judgment? Isn't that the greatest gift we've ever received? That instead of wrath being spoken over us, grace is spoken over us? And the way we're able to receive that, right, is because Christ was sacrificed on our behalf. The question is, how is it that the church that's ransomed seems so little affected by the gospel each day? 
This is the greatest sacrifice that's ever been made on our behalf, and yet the church seems to be so little impacted by that. I think it's because we're failing to look at Christ crucified. Thursday night, I challenged the students at the BCM this semester to live Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Look to Christ. Look to Christ crucified every day so that you endure for the joy of the Lord. We must be those who every day look to Christ, look to Calvary. And I think this is where we're failing. We are failing to meditate on the cross constantly. The gospel community never forgets Paul's beginning here. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. The gospel community never forgets this is the word spoken to us. Ephesians 2, I've read it to you. I want to be a resounding gong because I don't want you to ever forget. Ephesians 2 says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You should never forget 1 Peter that says, once you were a people without mercy, now you have received mercy. You should never forget Romans 1 that says, all of us go away. We suppress the truth of God. We worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And then Romans 3, if you look back, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths of ruin and misery and the way of peace they've not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Friends, whatever it takes, you should remember at one time you were separated from Christ and the only words spoken over you were judgment, curse, wrath. Those were the words spoken over you. What brought the difference? The difference is what we see in Romans 3. God puts forward his son as a propitiation for our sin. So God puts forward his son so that now the word justified can be spoken over us. The word redeemed can be spoken over us. Romans 5 says he pours his love into us. How? While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And through Christ, we have received reconciliation. Friends, God's mercy is the foundation of the gospel community. If there was no mercy, there would be no Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. There wouldn't be no need for Romans 1 through 11. The same things would be true. We are these people who would never seek God. We are these people who deserve punishment and wrath, but there would be no other word to give us. But the reason there is another word is because what God gave us, Christ, he gave us his very self to take the curse so that we could be rescued. Take a long look at Calvary every day. Meditate on the substitutionary atonement of Christ every day and your day will be different and your affections for God will be stirred. Friends, we're not talking about conjuring up love and you have to rev up your engine in the morning and be like, I know I'm supposed to love him. Let me, let me get it going. Friend, if you meditate on the cross every day, love will flow out of you. If you meditate on the cross every day, then it will make a difference. And my fear is we're the people who don't look at Calvary enough. We're the people who are not intentional. It's not going to happen on accident. We must be intentional that when I wake up, I look to Jesus. When I go through the day, I look to Jesus. And when I go to bed, my last thought is Jesus. By his mercies. It is difficult to become cold, apathetic, and indifferent toward God if we think on the gospel every day. And then you'll find yourself saying something that Dave Ramsey says every night, generally, on his radio show. If you ever call in, any of you, and you ask Dave Ramsey how he's doing, he has a patent answer that he generally says. Does anyone know what his patent answer is? Better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. 
Friends, that's what the gospel community says. You know how I'm doing? Better than I deserve. Because grace has been spoken over me. Mercy has been spoken over me. Peace has been spoken over me. What I deserve is wrath, judgment, and separation. Why is that important? Because I'm trying to figure out how it impacts our days so little. This should be something that impacts every day. You don't need to have a revival at a church if the church is meditating on Calvary every day. There will be unending revival, friend, because you will remember what Christ has done. Paul begins, he says, you know what the gospel community is? They're the people that never forget mercy. They're the people that never forget what Christ did. That's what the gospel community is, and that's the foundation for everything else. Number two, the gospel community recognizes the receipt of God's mercies come with responsibilities. Anyone who's ever told you that Christianity is about praying a salvation prayer and then you're good from there, they're a liar. They lied to you. The Bible places no emphasis on a sinner's prayer, but on the lordship of Christ in the lives of sinners. That's where the Bible places emphasis. Not on the sinner's prayer, but in Christ being Lord of the sinner. And so there are responsibilities that come with it. If it was about receiving mercy then, where we started, and just waiting until heaven, then there would be no reason for Paul to say in verse 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Paul puts the therefore there because the gospel is in us. The gospel must make a difference. There are some things that happen in our lives. There's some transformation that comes. Paul understood the gospel makes a difference in us. And where there is no difference, there may be no gospel. To teach that accepting the free gift of God's grace does not necessarily involve a moral obligation on our part is a heresy of gigantic proportions. That's what Mounts has said. Mounts is saying basically for all those people who would say to you, it's just about praying a prayer. And that's why we don't want to be the people who rush to get people to pray a sinner's prayer. It's not about the prayer, friend. It is about Christ being king in our lives. The gospel community are not those who just prayed a sinner's prayer. We are the ones in which the lordship of Christ is evident. He is our king, not us. We are not our kings. He is the king. And so any emphasis that we would have on just getting people to say this prayer, and good, they're in, friend, you've missed it. That's why with everyone that we baptize, everyone that I talk to, I make sure that they grasp the lordship of Christ. I had a conversation this week making sure that they grasp what you're saying is my life is Christ's. I'm going to be yielded to Christ. He's my king, so now I'm going to be in his word to see what he wants, and then by his power, I'm going to live it. It's not just pray a prayer and get to heaven. This is a life that's submitted to him. And so the gospel community understands that with the receipt of mercy come responsibilities, or as Paul says, therefore. Therefore, it should make a difference. There's some things that should be true in our lives. And uh, if, if, you think that, if you think that this is heresy or you think I'm a little off on this, let's take one moment and meditate on what Jesus said. If any man would come after me, let him deny self, Take up cross and do what? Follow. Man, that just, it just doesn't sound like say the prayer and you're good. We may wish that Jesus had said that, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you're going to follow me. I'm going to die for you. You have my mercy. There are responsibilities. Here's your responsibility. Deny self. Take up cross. Follow me. Follow me. Friend, it should be evident. When people look at our lives, it should be evident. They're following Christ. That's what should be true of the gospel community. Jesus doesn't say, chill, sit back, you're good, dude. He doesn't say that. That shows that we're king of our lives, not him.
the responsibility Paul calls us to, as we think on this then, the responsibility Paul's calling us to in Romans 12.1 is to worship God with our lives. By God's mercy, we are responsible for presenting our bodies to God every day, all through the day, all through the night. This is what we do. Our responsibility is, God, this body is yours. And in this way, I'm going to worship you, right? So number three in your outline, the gospel community shows that Christ is our treasure by how we use our minds and bodies. We're going to get to verse two next week, should the Lord give it to us. If he doesn't, I'm okay with that, all right? But this week, we're going to focus on the body, but how we use our mind and body should show that Christ is our treasure. Romans 12, again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we are to present our bodies to God. We use our minds and bodies in a way that shows that Christ is our treasure. How is that? Presenting our bodies to God. Questions for the church. And this is the question I asked last week. Would you say you spend more time and energy on how you present your body to the world or to God? Would you say you spend more time and energy on how you present your body to the world or to God? Number two, do we spend more time on making our body look a certain way for the world or to do certain things for God? You see, we ought to be those who don't want to do P90X just so people will know that we're ripped. We want to do P90X because it might make us more efficient to do things for Christ. P90X is not an end in itself. P90X is a means to an end. That's how we want to view the lens. And we're, or we're those that do, if you don't know what P90X is, it's an exercise program. They call it muscle confusion. I don't do it because I already have that going on, but, <laughs> but there are others that do it, and, and they have great results. The fear is when the people inside the church see P90X as an end rather than the means to the end. It's not about shaping our body in a certain way, friends, for the world or for us. It's that our bodies will be able to do certain things for God and his kingdom. Do we see our eyes, ears, tongue, mouth, stomach, mind, and hands and feet as weapons for God to use or just as tools to satisfy our own urges? Is our body for his glory or ours? And here's what's disturbing. I think many in the church, and I won't say of the church with a capital C because I'm not certain about this, but many who are in congregations at least, I think they're presenting their bodies to someone else rather than to God. I really do. Uh, Because what we see in the church or, you know, as as we often see, uh, people who want to dress in certain ways. Friends, we don't dress to express ourselves, but we dress for God's glory. Do we dress for his glory or gain approval from the world and increase our self-esteem? I pray we're not those who dress to increase our self-esteem by what others will think of us, by what Christ will think of us. Eating disorders inside the church, anorexia, bulimia, gluttony. When this happens, our bodies are presented to someone else. They're not presented to God. Whether you're presenting it to yourself in the mirror, you're presenting it to the world, or you're, however it is, it, it's not presented to God. Sexual involvement outside of marriage, our our bodies are presented to someone else. If I could have a plead for our college students and and our youth, it would be that you date and you use your bodies in such a way that you will show that you treasure Christ. And for some of us, we'll say, well, if I'm, I'm not involved in intercourse, then everything else is okay. Friends, let us date in such a way that all of our physical interactions are pleasing to Christ. It's not about anything until we get a ring, friend, and then it's how God set it up. God created it, and so we want to date in this way. Those of you who are virgins, you know what would be incredible? Is if you remained a virgin until you're married, and you make a commitment that this is how I'm going to live. 
friend, you're going to be different than the world. Those of you who've made some mistakes and you've exchanged what I call precious touches with other folks, listen, God's grace is sufficient to keep you from this day forward. And it's about no more. I'm not going to exchange that. Friends, we, what we don't want are youth and college students losing their virginity and as sexually active as those who aren't in the church because then we lie and say the gospel doesn't transform. Christ isn't king, I'm king. And any parent who would be upset about me directing that, friends, the world is preaching to your students already. Why should the church be silent? Why should the church be silent, friends? The body isn't just to satisfy our urges. The body is for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Why? Because you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. You will know the gospel is truly taking root when you present your body to God, not because you have to, but because you want to. You'll know the gospel's taking root when you present your body to God, not just out of duty, friend, but out of delight, because you want to. He's transformed your desires. Now it's not your desires that are king, it's his desires. And there's going to be battle. I'm not saying there's not battle. That's why you look to the cross every day and all through the day so that there's strength for the battle. We are the sanctuary. We are the holy ground, friend. There's discrepancy over building the mosque in New York. Friends, we are the holy ground. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6. This bubble is a building. It won't be here one day. So we must use our bodies in a way that show this is the very dwelling place of the Lord. Not in how it looks, but in how we use it. So we are to present our bodies. And then he uses this language as a living sacrifice. Living, holy, and acceptable. These are three words that really describe sacrifice. So let's take a moment just on sacrifice. I want to be very clear. As we give our bodies as a sacrifice, it's not for sin. All right? When we, when we give our bodies, it's not for sin. That's been taken care of. Does anyone have a wild guess who took care of that? Good. Whispers. Jesus. All right? Hebrews 9.12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Hebrews 10.12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So help me, let me help you understand theologically. Friends, as we give a sacrifice, it's not for sin. That has been taken care of. There's nothing we could do that would change that. Christ did all that was necessary. That's why we focus on him. That's why we say he's my only righteousness, my only boast. All right? So it's not for sin. But though it's not for sin, it is the giving of ourselves. F.F. Bruce has said, The sacrifices of the new order do not consist in taking the lives of others like the ancient animal sacrifices, but in giving one's own. All right? So in the Old Testament, when they would come for a guilt offering, whether they would bring a bull or a sheep or turtle doves, whatever they would bring, or they would put that animal down there. And as we've talked before, they would put their hand on that animal, and it was for a sin offering. But what we do now, Christ has already accomplished that for us. But now, rather than a bull or an animal or anything else, friends, we bring ourselves. And we are the offering. That's the picture. We are the sacrifice. We don't give someone or something else. Now we give ourselves. And there's a couple words then. Living, holy, and acceptable. Let's take a closer look at these three. First of all, living. And as we consider living, I want to remind you, it's a total commitment. It's offering our whole self. Uh, for our whole life, 
It's offering our whole self for our whole life. Let me give you a pop quiz. So the animals that were offered on the altar, was it a partial sacrifice of that animal or a total commitment by that animal? <laughs> it was total, right? None of the animals were like half dead, half alive. All of the animals were totally offered, right? Totally sacrificed. Let's consider Jesus for a moment. Was Jesus half a partial sacrifice or a whole sacrifice? All right, so Jesus was a complete sacrifice. The animals were a complete sacrifice. When it comes to us then, are we a partial sacrifice, friend, or are we a total sacrifice? The problem is we want to hold back. We want to keep things from God. I don't know why we would do that. Everything we give to him, it's much better, right? Let every act of our body in living be an act of worship. Let every act of our living body be a demonstration that God is our treasure. Let every act of our living body show that Christ is more precious to us than anything else. And there's a seriousness and a gravity to which should grip us in this, right? You'll remember Jesus when he was uh, on, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about because sometimes we want to do different things. We, we say, okay, Jesus, I'll give you my hands, but not my eyes, right? Jesus, I'll give you my ears, but not my tummy today. My tummy's mine today, right? But Jesus says some things about how complete it should be and the intentionality we should, should pursue it. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, what does Jesus say we should do with our eye if our eye causes us to stumble? Does anyone know? Yeah, tear it out and throw it away. Imagine that. I wonder what that would be like if I saw some of you come in next week with a patch over your eye. You're like, dude, I just took it literal, right? He says, if your hand causes you to stumble, what should you do with it? Cut it off and throw it away. You know what Jesus is saying? Hold nothing back and let nothing stand in your way to total sacrifice and total devotion to me. In Matthew 5, he repeats this. He says, it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Why would Jesus repeat it? You think he just didn't have anything new to say the second time or he was repeating on purpose? He's trying to tell you the gravity and the seriousness in which we should approach holiness and we should approach commitment to him. Not partial, not sorta, but complete and total commitment. My whole life is a sacrifice to you. Totally. Anything that would stop that, I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to get rid of it. Now, the key to that is really not your eyes or your hand, is it, friend? The key to it is really our heart. Because you can cut off your hand and pluck out your eye and find you still lust. The key to it is your heart and then treasuring Christ in your heart. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. And then from the inside out, this flows. So total commitment. Living means total commitment. The other part of living means, uh, this is going to be a stretch, living. All right? means alive, alive to God, but dead to self. So we are a living sacrifice. The, the goat, did it get up afterward? No. Did the bull get up? No. Did the turtle doves? Tough day to be a turtle dove, right? No, they, got, they were dead, right? The difference, Jesus says, is it is a total commitment of us, but it's, we're alive, all right? We're going to walk day by day to class, to work, to our neighbors. We're going to walk, right? And here's what we learned in Galatians. We are alive to God, but we're dead to self. In Galatians 2.20, we learned I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we're dead to self. We learn from Galatians 5. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We're dead to the flesh. We've learned in Galatians 6, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We're dead to the world. 
So we are alive, but we're dead to some things. And what we're dead to is self, the flesh, and the world because of the cross of Christ. That's why every day we look to Calvary. Only through the cross is there power to be dead to the flesh, the world, and the devil, right? So we're dead to these things, but Romans 6.11 says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says, he died for all those that... He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So what we say every day is this, I want to be a total sacrifice to you, and I'm alive for you. I'm dead to the world. I'm dead to the flesh. I'm dead to self because of the cross of Christ. But I'm alive to you. And so whatever you need me to do today, I'm going to do it. Are we showing that Christ is our treasure by the way we use our bodies to do whatever he needs me to do and to go wherever he needs to go. How many of you have ever heard of John Patton? If you've been here, you should raise your hand because I've quoted John Patton numerous times. So how many of you have ever heard of John Patton? Good. All right. John Patton was a missionary to New, New Hebrides, and I'm, he's the one that I've shared with you who buried his wife with his bare hands and two weeks later buried his newborn son uh, with his bare hands serving in a, on an island of cannibals. And before John Patton left, Mr. Dixon, uh, not Clay, but Mr. Dixon, exploded to John Patton, not wanting him to go, and he says, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. But to this, Patton responded, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. See, friend, when you realize I'm alive to God, then I'm willing to go wherever he wants me to go with my body. I'm willing to do whatever he needs me to do. And if he needs me for the sake of the gospel to be eaten by cannibals, then I'm willing to do that because this is not my final body there is a resurrection body and we never forget that so we want to be the people who show that christ is our treasure by a total commitment and we're willing to go wherever and do whatever he wants god wants visible lived out bodily evidence that our lives are built on his mercy just as worshipers in the old testament denied themselves some earthly treasure a sheep a goat or bull and carried their sacrifices to the altar of blood and fire so we deny ourselves some earthly treasure or ease or comfort and carry ourselves, our bodies, for Christ's sake to the places and the relationships and the crises in the world where mercy is needed. That's what we do with our bodies. I would give you a, a, a small picture. The Moors don't know it's coming, and uh, any of you who are upset that I'm highlighting the Moors, I would just say to you, die to, die to self. And you're like, why didn't he mention me? Die to self. All right, so... Uh, I, I just was given a picture this week of what it means to just be a, a living sacrifice. Terry and Darcy, just in heavy things going on in their journey, and, and Darcy's foot right here is bandaged, and yet Thursday night they're at the BCM and they're serving and they're cooking up this big pot of food, and they didn't say no, and they didn't say life's too rough, we've got too much going on, and I just wanted to affirm, man, as I was there Thursday night and saw you, and studying this, you're a picture to me of what it means to be a living sacrifice. And just would affirm that. There are others in here. And so it, there are countless stories I could say. But this is what I'm talking about. And this is a picture. And this is what we should be as the gospel community. We live. Whatever I need to do, wherever I need to go. Right? Not only are we living, but we're holy. Right? Uh, it says here, 
present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So let's consider holy. I think there are two things about holy. One, it's the act, and two, it's the attitude. Here's what I mean by the act. The offering of our bodies is not the offering of our bodily looks, but of our bodily behavior. Here's what Romans 6.13 says. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So what we want to do every morning is live Romans 6. And we say, God, I give you my hands. Use them for holy purposes today. God, I give you my eyes. Use them for holy purposes today. God, I give you my mouth. Use it for holy purposes today. God, I give you my feet. Use them for holy purposes today. And this is what it means, Father. Otherwise, I'm going to use them for wretched, sinful purposes. I'm going to use them for selfishness. But we want to be those who every day and all through the day, my body is yours, Lord. I present it. Use these for holy purposes. Again, students, that'd be a great prayer to pray before you go on a date. It'd be a great prayer to say, God, use my body for holy purposes. God, use my mind for holy purposes. And it doesn't change when we're married. Men, that we go to work, that we're faithful to our marriage vows in the way that we think and what we look at and what we do at work, that we would say, God, use my mind, holy purposes, use my hands, all of these things, Romans 6. So there's the act of it that we present everything to Christ and say, use it for holy purposes. But here's the attitude. We often overlook the type of sacrifice God requires of us. We think any act of religion or spiritual sacrifice will necessarily be delightful to God. So you may say, well, I can do it, and it's going to please him. You should know it will not. People who brought offerings in the Old Testament but were living in hypocrisy, was that pleasing to God? I mean, they did the act, right? They would bring an offering. They would even go through feasts and festivals. Did God delight in the offerings of people who did the act, but their heart wasn't in it? Did he delight in that? No. Matter of fact, listen to what he says. Amos 5, I hate, I despise your feast days. And I do not savor your sacred assemblies. So some of us are going to be like, fine, Jesus, take my eyes. Mm. You think he's going to delight in that? <laughs> fine, Jesus, you can have my hands. <sighs> right? <laughs> some of this is because I live with a first grader. <laughs> the act, right, is one thing. The attitude is another. So we don't want to be those who are like, fine, I'm giving you my eyes. We want to be those that the attitude is offered in humility and repentance so that the sacrifice of our praise will be a sweet aroma. We want to be those that the attitude is important. Friends, don't, don't just do the act and think that your heart doesn't matter. Giving your hands and eyes and feet, it also matters how you give them. We want to be those who give them in a way that the Lord would receive them. So... We see that we're living sacrifices, holy, and then the third word here is acceptable. Let me give you some verses. First Peter 2, 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's First Peter 2, 5. That our, we are to be a holy priesthood who offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So Hebrews 13, 15. Then through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise that is fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Did you see what was common in both those? Did you hear them? It was this. Through Jesus Christ, 
through him. Friends, the only way that an offering is acceptable to God is if it's through Christ. There's no other way an offering is acceptable. The only sacrifices of our bodies that are acceptable to God are the ones offered through Christ. Without Christ, the Bible says, it's impossible to please God. So here's what I mean. You can fast, but a fast by itself is not going to please God. You can be abstinent, but an abstinence in itself isn't going to please God. You cannot gossip, but that in itself isn't going to please God. Friend, it's only what's done through Christ, which is where we would put another plea to you. If you've never yielded your life to Christ, friend, there's no way you can be pleasing to God. And your only hope of living, Romans 12, 1, is to be in Jesus, not separate from Jesus. For the only ones that can offer an offering that's acceptable are those who are offering it through Christ. And there's no other way. So it's not just about what we do with our hands and feet and, and these things. That, that doesn't make it acceptable. It's not just the act or even the attitude. It's the lens and the means in which it's offered in Christ. That's why when we sing, the only way the singing is acceptable to God is when it comes through Christ. When we give, the only reason it's acceptable is because it comes through Christ. So this is what we've got to grasp and understand again why Calvary is so important and why we want to look there. These become acceptable through Christ Jesus. And so, friend, if you are not in Jesus, please yield your life to Jesus today. Please yield your life to Jesus. There's no other way to please the Father except by Christ Jesus. And for those of us who are in the church, let us understand that it's not what we do around Jesus. It's what we do through Jesus. This is the only way our bodies become pleasing to him. The answer to how all of this is possible is what I just reiterate again, God's mercies. The only way you can offer your body as a sacrifice that's living, holy, and acceptable is by God's mercy. It's both uh, what we are to give to God cannot be produced independently of God's continuing gracious provision. So, friend, it's what God has done, and it's what God is doing. That's the only way we would be able to do this. Why do we do all of it? Well, he concludes, and he says this, which is your spiritual worship. In other phrases there, he says it's your logical worship. In one way, Paul could be saying, friend, it's what makes sense. Here's what God has done to rescue you. Then what makes sense is you give your life back to him. Regardless of if it's logical or if it's spiritual, his point is it's worship. And above all else, friends, the community of God should be a worshiping community. We worship what we enjoy, and we are those that cry out, except for in this case, with our lives. And I think what's been limited is we've seen folks who limit that by worship. We mean Sunday morning. We mean when we get dressed and we come in here and we sing songs and we do an offering and we go through functions. That's not what the Bible means by worship. The Bible has just given you an incredible picture that says the Christian is called to worship that's not confined to one place or at one time, but involves all places and all times. This is the picture. Caseman, it says... Christian worship does not consist of what's practiced as sacred sites at sacred times with sacred acts. It's the offering of a bodily existence in the otherwise profane sphere. It's worship. That's the point. So Paul's emphasis is because of what God has done and what he's doing, we're going to worship God with our lives. Not just Sunday, 1030 to 12. I'm going to worship him in how I do homework. I'm going to worship him in my class. I'm going to worship him in my job. I'm going to worship him at home when I'm by myself. I'm going to worship in the way I use my body to show that he's my treasure. We're going to move to a, a time to, to close, and we'll have some announcements. I would ask Pastor Barber, maybe there's a song that, that could lead us in this way and just give us time to think. 
Pastor Byron comes, Elizabeth Elliot has written a book called Discipline, the Glad Surrender, and she has a whole chapter on the discipline of the body. And she just writes these statements that say, discipline for a Christian begins with the body. How many bodies do we have, friends? One, right? That's it. So you understand, right? This is your one opportunity to use your body for Christ. You don't get to hit reset and do over. This is your one opportunity to use your body as a steward of what God's given us. She says, it is this body that is primarily material given to us for sacrifice. We're meant to present it, offer it up, give it unconditionally to God for his purposes. More spiritual failure is due, I believe, to this cause than to any other. The failure to recognize this living body is having anything to do with worship or holy sacrifice. This body is quite simply the starting place. Failure here is failure everywhere else. The questions then become, friends, will we worship with what we say with our mouths? Will we worship with what we do with our hands? Will we worship with what we look at with our eyes? Will we worship with what we listen to with our ears? Will we worship with where we go with our feet? The way we speak, the way we date, the way we spend, the way we do homework, the way we're willing to go anywhere for the sake of the gospel, the way we keep doing it over and over and over again with our body. That's the gospel community. So let me close where I start. Paul says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This is what it means to live the gospel. This is what happens when the gospel takes root in our hearts. It affects what we do with our bodies. And it's just the beginning of what it means to be the gospel community. If it's not true in your life today, friend, when people look at you, that you treasure Christ with what you do with your body, then you need to repent. You need to ask God for forgiveness. You need to say, I'm sorry for not being a good steward. And find His grace to be sufficient. If you've never yielded your life to Christ, this is where that starts. Do that. We need to be those who pray and pray for one another that it's evident that Crosspoint treasures Christ by what we do with our bodies. We present them to God as worship. That's not true, friend. You need to take some moments then in the next few minutes and get that right. Father, we pray and thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We understand that our sacrifice is not for sin, for that has been accomplished in Christ. We understand that there are responsibilities that come with receiving mercy. We are not a gospel community that just uh, prays a prayer and goes on. We are a gospel community that never gets over the gospel. And so, Father, we pray that we would be those who present our bodies to you. It's so easy to present our bodies to self, to urges, to cravings, to the world. But urges and cravings are not stronger than the cross of Christ. And so in Christ, we find power that we are dead to the world. We're dead to the flesh. So, Father, help us to be those who every day are pushed back to Christ. He is our only hope not to be dominated by urges and cravings and the things that are around us. He's our only hope, then, to live the gospel. So, Father, help us to keep Calvary in sight all through the day. And as we keep it in sight, then we would be those in the way we date, the way we live, the way we spend, the way we use our bodies. We worship, and others would be drawn to you, and others would see, and they would give glory to you 
not to us, but to you. Father, would you produce an authentic gospel community here? Use your spirit now to help us live this day. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.